Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Hey, are you all ready to spring forward this weekend? I'm actually pretty bummed about it. I have to get up early on Sunday mornings anyway to do Media Buzz. See, I snuck the plug in there in the first paragraph. Very subtly. Didn't seem like an overt pitch. But the fact is I do. And now losing an hour of sleep in addition to that. And I think I've got to remind the guests uh, what time to show up as well. Um, you know, this whole daylight savings thing drives me crazy. I'm one of these people who believes, and there's going to be a big push in Congress this year. There's a big push every year, and it never passes. There should just be daylight savings all the time. I know that all the counter arguments about farmers and school kids waiting for the bus in the darkness and so forth. But this whole idea that the entire country has to disrupt its calendar uh, – Twice a year, we just go back and forth and back and forth, I think is just sort of bizarre. Uh, but I don't think it's going to change. It's just, you know, it's like everything else. Congress can't get anything done. Some people really want to change this and others do not. Hey, um, I'm looking at this little item about book sales and I'm thinking, what's Donald Trump going to do now? No, this is not about the possibility that he'll be indicted, which we will get to in mere moments. Ron DeSantis out with his book, The Courage to Be Free. Oh, Florida's Blueprint for America's Survival. It's not only the top of the New York Times bestseller list. It has sold more copies in this first period of time than books that came out at a comparable stage by Barack Obama, by Hillary Clinton, and by Donald Trump. And you know how he is about numbers and the size of the inauguration crowd and all that. So the numbers are, according to BookScan, uh, the DeSantis book, 94,000 copies sold since being published just over a week ago. And this is like a day old story. Um, Trump sold 27,000 copies of his 2015 campaign book, Crippled America. Hillary did well. She sold 86,000 copies. But I got to tell you, as a guy who's written six books, uh, even 27,000 copies in one week is something that most authors can only dream about. So it's, none of these are embarrassing. But it just shows you either how much interest there is in Ron DeSantis or that he's just hot at the moment. Um, it, because this is not exactly a, a uh, tell-all page-turner. Mostly about, you know, it's about his life, but it's also about policy in Florida. So <laughs> I think we'll hear something about this. I don't know. You know, Jenna Ellis, I mentioned, former Trump lawyer who has been censured by a judge for, in the judge's opinion, having it on at least 10 occasions, have uh, made false statements or misrepresentations about whether or not there was evidence of a stolen election. You know, she would go on TV or on Twitter and say this, and then she could never produce the evidence. But this, in a different kind of way, is worse. Here's Jenna Ellis on Twitter 
tweeting yesterday, and it says, breaking camera footage from last night's McConnell dinner obtained. And then there's a video of a turtle trying to go down a staircase and then tumbling down the stairs as the person who is doing the filming does nothing but laugh. And the, as this item put it, unfortunate reptile finally lands with a thump in a basket at the bottom. So you may or may not have heard that uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell had a concussion from a fall. This was on Wednesday night at the Washington Hotel, and he's in the hospital now, and he's going to be there for a few days because of the concussion. So McConnell is 81 years old. He obviously hit his head in the fall, during the fall. And Jenna Ellis thinks this is funny enough to, because cartoonists and others often liken McConnell to a turtle. Uh, just the, his face and the expression on his face. You know, well, you know, that's actually mild compared to this. So she thinks it's hysterical showing the turtle going down the stairs while the Republican leader of the United States Senate is in the hospital recuperating from a concussion. I just, like, I don't get it. You know, some things sometimes you take a jab and it's kind of funny, but this is just makes me angry. All right. Uh, McConnell remains at George Washington University Hospital. So this is a little piece from the Neiman Lab uh, magazine or newsletter or essay. And it's about Gannett newspapers. And, you know, I grew up in newspapers. I love newspapers. I know what's happening to newspapers, and it breaks my heart. But Gannett, the numbers here are staggering. So there was a hedge fund named Alden, by the name of Alden Capital, tried to uh, take over Gannett in 2019, failed, but it led to uh, a merger between Gannett and Gatehouse, lesser-known newspaper company, um, combining the number one and number two newspaper owners in the country. So what's happened since then? Look at these numbers. At the end of 2018, that was the last full year before this merger, both companies, Gannett and Gatehouse, had a total of 27,600 employees. You know how many they have now? 11,200. So it's gone down every year to 25, to 21, to 18. So 27,000 to 11,000. In other words, as the piece says, Gannett eliminated 59% of its jobs in four years. It's as if instead of merging America's two largest newspaper chains, one of them was simply wiped off the face of the earth. And, you know, Gannett's never been known as a company that invested in great journalism. Uh, Most of its papers were mediocre, but then at least they were uh, trying to serve their community. And now all those jobs lost. Uh, And as as for other Gannett papers, you're looking at the circulation. And this includes digital as well as print. Uh, again, comparing it to 2019 in this case, Detroit Free Press down 89% in circulation. Arizona Republic, Louisville Courier Journal, Indianapolis Star down 75% in circulation. Uh, it is just, you know, it's not just that I have sort of newspaper ink in my blood. 
And, of course, I feel badly for all those people who lost, lost their jobs, but it's really the loss of scrutiny of the local county council or city hall or state house or mayor's office. That's the tragedy here. Okay, story number one. This dropped, as these stories often do, in the New York Times, little after 5.30 Eastern, and suddenly an explosion of coverage um, on MSNBC and on CNN. And it's undeniably a story, but let me get into it. The Manhattan DA's office, this is the lead, recently signaled to Donald Trump's lawyers that he could face criminal charges for his role in the payment of hush money to a porn star. So this is the Stormy Daniels case. And just to finish the lead, the strongest indication yet that prosecutors are nearing an indictment of the former president, according to four people with knowledge of the matter. And I can't dispute this because what it's based on is the DA's office, the prosecutors there, offering Trump a chance to testify next week before grand jury. They've already taken like six witnesses before the grand jury. That's usually the final step before you indict somebody. It would be unusual for the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, to notify a potential defendant without ultimately seeking charges against him. So I think that analysis is right. I think there's 0.0 chance that Trump testifies next week. I mean, his lawyers would tell him he'd be crazy to, uh, to testify. And it also, you know, New York is the jurisdiction where um, it was famously said that prosecutors could indict a ham sandwich. And the other weird thing about this case is that Alvin Bragg investigated all this and decided not to bring charges. This is last year. And two prosecutors quit in protest, and it looked like the thing was done. So now it's suddenly revival. What changed? I don't know. Um, it just seems to me that of all of the investigations of Donald Trump, this has to be the least serious one. I'm not saying there's no uh, potential criminal offense here, but come on. Um, compared to the investigation of the former president's role on January 6th, compared to the Georgia investigation about you know, I need you to find 11,780 votes. This is about an X-rated film star. And, of course, everybody will go completely and totally nuts if this indictment happens. And we've been through this before, but this is not just one source says. This is the uh, invitation to testify before the grand jury. You know, just in case you forgot or didn't care or haven't been following it, this is all about a $130,000 check paid to Stormy Daniels in the last days of the 2016 campaign to shut her up. That's why it's called hush money. The payment was made by Michael Cohn, who was Trump's fixer at the time, who was later reimbursed by Trump. Um, Cohn hasn't testified before the grand jury yet, but he's expected to. He has met with... Um, the Manhattan prosecutors 14 or 15 times. Um, Trump has called this a witch hunt. He has called Bragg, who is black, a politically motivated racist. I'll get to Trump's latest statement in a moment. Um, so, first of all, let's say he's indicted. He already told reporters at CPAC, of course he's not going to get out of the race. And if anything, the idea 
that you would bring criminal charges against the President of the United States, even if you have the case on paper. Never been done before against a former president of the USA. About this payment, which also involved the National Enquirer, to try to keep her quiet, and of course she later came out and went on 60 Minutes and all of that. Um, and of course, since Michael Cohen pleaded guilty to charges related to the hush money, Trump's lawyers will attack his credibility. I mean, it's not necessarily a slam dunk that there would be a conviction here. But let's talk about the politics of it, and that is this. Trump's MAGA base, the Republicans who still love Donald Trump, the Republicans who may think, well, you know, he has rough edges, he insults people, he, sometimes he goes too far, but he's my guy. I love the way he disrupts the establishment. Those people, and they are a significant chunk of the Republican Party, and recent polls show, I mean, it's, the polls are ridiculously early, but show Trump with a huge lead over on this, and that could change. But my point is this. If these charges are brought by the Manhattan District Attorney, the people who love Donald Trump will not only love him more, they will be outraged and upset and furious and pissed off and just really apoplectic, especially because it's not about a Capitol riot. It's about Stormy Daniels. They will believe, and Trump will play off this, that he is being persecuted, that it is a witch hunt, that he is being railroaded that the deep state, air quotes, would do anything to get Donald Trump. Look at all these various investigations. It's just almost unbelievable that this could happen, and yet I would have to agree with the New York Times assessment that it is likely to happen. Now, even after his lawyers put out a statement, Trump uh, said the following, I did absolutely nothing wrong. I never had an affair with Stormy Daniels, nor would I wanted to have an affair with Stormy Daniels. He always puts that in, like her, you know, and he calls her horse face and so forth. Um, And the, quote, affair, which she alleges happened in 2006, this is well before Donald Trump was, you know, going to get into politics, was supposedly, you know, one night. But... Whether he did, whether he didn't, he's always denied it. This is a political witch hunt, he says, trying to take down the leading candidate by far in the Republican Party, while at the same time also leading all Democrats in the polls, including Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So I don't know. It's like the higher he is in the polls, the more he thinks prosecutors would be inclined to bring the case. And I'm not, you know, I want to see what the indictment says, if there is an indictment. I mean, we've been through this so many times before. Oh, now the walls are closing in. Oh, wait till Robert Mueller gets him. But it does look like, feel like, smell like um, the district attorney is going to go ahead with this. Uh, Trump also says our country has become the investigation capital of the world. Actually, that's all we do. And it's only good for our many enemies. Our enemies are that are laughing at us all over the world. They could not be happier as they brilliantly plot our demise and destruction. We have to get back to making America great again. And then he reposted some things he's said about this before. So it's a bombshell or a potential bombshell. But And the prospect of a former president of the United States running to be president again, having a good shot certainly at, at winning the nomination— 
And by the way, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, others, will you talk about that? Will you actually finally criticize Donald Trump for the first time if he's under indictment, or will you just say, we'll see how it all plays out? Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Okay, number two. Every single time I've talked to you about George Santos, I've talked about this lie and that lie, and there's new people surfacing who said he lied about this, that, the other thing. But my view has always been that the reason I don't think he's going to be able to serve out his term in Congress is not because of the resume facts, fabrications and exaggerations and just plain old crazy lies, but because of the money. That there's just something that didn't smell right about this guy because there is this $750,000 loan to his campaign, the one that he won last year before the New York Times exposed the resume fabrications, and yet, all other indications was that he was not a rich guy and was scrounging for money. So now comes Politico with this piece. Congressman George Santos orchestrated a 2017 credit card skimming operation in Seattle. The man who was convicted of the fraud and deported to Brazil, which is where Santos is from, said in a sworn declaration submitted to federal authorities. So this is not some source said. This is a court document. Uh, the guy's name is Gustavo Ribeiro Trelha. And in this case, he declares the following. I am coming forward today to declare that the person in charge of the crime of credit card fraud when I was arrested was George Santos slash Anthony DeVolder, which is a name he also has used. It was sent uh, to the FBI, to the Secret Service, to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Brooklyn, according to a copy of the receipt. Telha decided to contact law enforcement officials after seeing the newly minted congressman on television. So the House Ethics Committee is investigating. State, federal, and Brazilian authorities are investigating potential financial crimes. Santos maintains he's never broken any laws. He was previously questioned about the Seattle scheme by the Secret Service, CBS has reported. He was never charged. Okay, so that makes me wonder about that. But the investigation remains open. Santos told an attorney friend he was an informant in the fraud case. But this is the, the most telling quote, if, if this guy's telling the truth. Um, Trelha says... Santos taught me how to skim card information and how to clone cards. He gave me all the materials and taught me how to put skimming devices and cameras on ATM machines. So I don't know what that will lead to, but I do know there are multiple fronts on which George Santos is being investigated for financial matters where there could be law-breaking, where it's not just, hey, did you hear this other crazy lie he told about, you know, his mother was killed on 9-11, except she died many, many years later, or, you know, that he was a volleyball star 
at a college he never attended. This is in a whole different category. If he's brought down, it's going to be about this financial stuff. If it's not this, it may be one of the other investigations. Number three, John Fetterman. So you'll recall that John Fetterman, the senator from Pennsylvania, uh, who suffered a stroke shortly before winning the primary, uh, has checked himself into Walter Reed Medical Center and what he described as just depression, not unusual for stroke victims. And so for a week or so, he kind of disappeared from public view. There were those, you know, commentators who said, oh, he's unfit to serve and we were misled. You know, you don't know how this is going to pan out. You don't know when someone suffers a stroke how long it will take them to recover. You don't know whether they will suffer from depression, which apparently is very common uh, with this particular affliction. Um, and so I viewed it as, you know, the guy's a human being and you got to wish him well. But then there started to be a couple stories and a photo of Fetterman with one of his staff members doing some work at the hospital. So this New York Times story says, oh, you know, it's a cheerfully decorated room and um, there's a briefcase with the, um, all the paperwork that he needs and he's finishing his third week now in the hospital. I thought it was shorter than that. So doctors say he should limit his exposure to cable television, the Internet and social media. I don't know. Does that help you get better? A major information detox for someone whose obsession and occupation is politics. So Fetterman, who's 53, you know, he rushed back to the campaign trail last year after the life-threatening stroke, and that may well have taken a, a toll on his recovery. So what's interesting about this is Adam Gentleson, his chief of staff, says, we were honest with people about what's going on. We put it out there. The attacks will be what they're going to be but the attacks aren't going to be any worse if he was in a few extra weeks. The main thing for him now is to come out and not have to go back. So he's getting you know, long walks on trails and participating in talk therapy sessions. Doctors are monitoring his medications. And this reminds me a long time ago, you know, before when, when the media world was rather primitive, uh, when Dwight Eisenhower would go on vacation, and in his second term, Ike uh, suffered a heart attack, the, his press secretary would just sort of put out these announcements and declarations um, to make it seem that when Ike was on vacation, and later when he had you know, the heart problem, that he was working. And he may well have been doing some work. You're never off duty as president of the United States, but basically he was playing golf. And this is a version of that, showing a picture of... Fetterman working. Uh, the story goes on to say his parents come, his brothers come, his wife visits, uh, no limits on how long they can stay. Yet his absence from the Senate has caught the attention of detractors who have publicly questioned Fetterman's condition and suggested that his diagnosis renders him unfit to serve. And what there also is here is, as, as they've tweeted out the pictures and so forth, is... People saying, well, this is BS. You know, they're just trying to make it look like he's working when he's actually not. And I just, you know, just think the guy deserves a little compassion. Uh, I've worked when I'm sick, you know, if I'm out of, out of the office for a few days. Not at the same pace, obviously. 
Uh, people around Mr. Fetterman say they have noticed a palpable difference in him in recent days. His sense of humor has returned. He is more sociable, sharing with nurses some of the sweets that have been sent to him by fellow senators. So I just hate when all this gets tangled up in politics. Of course, it's political in the sense that it's a United States senator who voters of Pennsylvania knew had health problems. He couldn't exactly hide the stroke. You remember that disastrous debate performance. Um, And now he's still struggling. He's clearly struggling. And there's an effort now, a PR effort, that's part of what this is, to show he's getting better, don't worry. Uh, His chief of staff comes over with the paperwork and that he's doing what he can. I'll keep an eye on that, but, you know, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He's a guy who has had really serious health problems who's trying to get better. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Number four is a deep dive. It's a pretty sharp piece by Ron Brownstein in The Atlantic about how Biden is governing and campaigning. So let me dive right in. Brownstein says, with the exception of abortion rights, Biden is working to downplay or diffuse almost all cultural issues. Instead, his communications are all targeted toward providing tangible economic benefits to working class families, lower costs for insulin, protection of Social Security and Medicare, creation of more manufacturing jobs. Uh, While the leading Republican contenders are basically saying who shares your values or who shares your resentments, Biden wants voters to ask who is on your side. And, you know, some of this has been kind of ridiculed. The whole, um, you know, junk fees or you should be able to change your seat on an airline so you can sit with your family. But those little things do matter in that they are rare examples of government directly touching your lives. And what a contrast with the GOP. And we'll see how that works. So Brownstein goes on to say that except for abortion rights, which Biden basically tried to avoid talking about, but now in the post-Roe era does talk about quite a lot. Uh, you know, Biden is also, his aides have also criticized other Republican initiatives, such as Ron DeSantis's, his piece says, don't say gay bill. That's not what it is. It's, you know, no discussion of sexual orientation and other matters for third graders or younger. But it's really striking to me because Brownstein is a guy who studies, you know, the academics and the political theory of how you govern and how you campaign. So he then says some Democrats worry that Biden's, you know, heavy focus on the economy. And the problem is he gives all these speeches and they may well have important substance, but they kind of sound the same after a while. Um, Allow Republicans like DeSantis to define themselves as championing parents, advancing an agenda that civil rights advocates believe promotes exclusion and bigotry. Now, that is certainly up for debate. But Brownstein's trying to give sort of both sides here. Um, So Ron says that these Dems also fear that Biden's reluctance to engage more directly with Republicans uh, over the rollback of rights through red states risks disappointing core Democratic constituencies. He doesn't say the left, but that's kind of how I'm reading this, including black Americans, LGBTQ community um, that face, that are sort of on the front lines, I would say, of the culture war fights. 
Um, these Democrats have grown even more uneasy as Biden has lately moved toward Republican positions. I talked about this yesterday, Biden moving toward the middle, the piece in, in National Review. So here you have uh, the liberal Atlantic magazine and the conservative National Review agreeing that um, by moving toward the GOP position on immigration, new restrictions on asylum seekers, and perhaps a return, according to a leak to the New York Times, of Trump-like tactics at the border, or Biden saying on the D.C. criminal code, which, remember, is much lower sentences or doing away with mandatory minimums for carjacking, sexual assault, armed robbery, the list goes on and on. And Biden saying, look, I'm not going to be the president to stop this Republican effort from overturning this because I don't believe in it. And obviously puts the whole, would put the whole Democratic Party officials and apparatus as being soft on crime. D.C. just went too far. Anyway, to continue with this piece, um, those around Biden don't believe that the Republican positions on classroom censorship, book bans, LGBTQ rights, allowing people to uh, have a concealed weapon without a permit, uh, will prove popular with voters beyond the core conservative states. So that's what this comes down to. Who wins the middle? You know, these Republican policies play very well in the states that any Republican presidential candidate, whether it's Trump, DeSantis, or somebody else, are going to win. Now, Biden hasn't completely sidestepped the culture wars. Uh, Brownstein pointing out that that he has, you know, been relentless in his defense of abortion rights. So that was uh, sort of uh, highlighted earlier in the piece. But the Biden administration and the president himself have kept their distance from this surging tide of bills in Florida and other red states, tax on civil rights and liberties, that, of course, depends on your point of view. When Biden went to Florida last month, it was not to attack Ron DeSantis and his agenda. It was to defend Social Security, Medicare, and the Affordable Care Act. So that's Biden's theory of the case. The left is not going to be happy with him. You're going to see uh, fights within the party, I am sure. But what's fascinating to me about this is You know, a lot of people in the midterms, for example, said Biden's campaigning on abortion and democracy. No, he needs to talk about gas prices and he needs to talk about this, that, and the other thing. Well, the Democrats outperformed. Biden's theory of the case turned out to be right. Will that help when he is personally on the ballot and has spent so much time focused on the economy? Well, I mean, it's certainly plausible that working class voters who are either have lost their jobs or don't have college degrees, uh, the kind of Scranton voters that Democrats used to win, you know, could be more um, receptive to this pitch. All right, let me close here with number five. I put it last because it's about the budget. I don't want to put anybody to sleep. But interesting analysis here. Biden came out with the $6.8 trillion budget, which, as I said yesterday, DOA reduces the deficit, raises taxes on the rich, ramps up competition with China. And the House Republicans are not going to go for it. So so what is the point? Is it purely a messaging budget? That often is the case, regardless of which party holds the White House. Um, Biden said in a speech in Philly, this will lift the burden on hardworking Americans. Talked a lot about well, what are the Republicans offering? How are they going to save Social Security? What would they cut if they um, want to reduce government spending? Um, and, you know, I mentioned new 25 percent minimum tax on billionaires raising the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28 percent, 
Trump had really slashed it. Quadrupling attacks on stock buybacks. I mean, most people don't get to worry about these things because they don't have a lot of stock or maybe they just have their 401ks. Now, then we get into the, the, the debt ceiling showdown because you got Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans saying they will allow the government to borrow more money only if there is an accompanying plan to reduce the federal deficit. Now, Biden will say, look, I'm reducing the federal deficit by raising taxes on people who are wealthy and, and corporations that aren't paying their fair share. So it's the classic Democratic-Republican showdown. Do you make progress by raising taxes and using that money for things, or do you make progress by cutting spending and using and giving people back more of their money rather than taking it in taxes. So, you know, according to the White House, his plan would reduce federal budget deficits by nearly $3 trillion over the next 10 years. By the way, let me just say, whenever you read about anything saving uh, gargantuan amount of money over the next 10 years, it usually doesn't end up working out that way. I mean, 10 years is a long time and Congress will change things around and so forth. One little last note on this. Biden asked for an increase in military spending, often Democrats try to cut that in order to free up money for domestic spending. In 800, asking for $842 billion for DOD, over a 3% increase from last year. And um, that would be used, among other things, to modernize America's nuclear deterrent capabilities and would allocate more than $6 billion to support Ukraine, which a lot of House Republicans also have a problem with. So, you know... Putting out a budget, boring as it is, is to choose, is to make a declaration of what's important to you and what's not important to you. Clearly, there will be some dramatics here as we get closer now, as the spring comes along, to the debt ceiling showdown where the U.S. just has to borrow more money. Clearly, Republicans will have to explain why they voted for a clean debt ceiling bill, meaning let's just borrow more money three times when Donald Trump was president, clearly they will try to make out Joe Biden to be a big taxer and spender. And just as clearly, we're going to stop now. We're going to talk about the weekend. You may lose an hour of sleep, but most of you probably don't have to be at a job early on Sunday morning. It's hard for the kids, too, you know, to adjust, especially the younger ones. With that, I'll just briefly remind you about Media Buzz. I will ask anybody listening who is not always subscribing to this podcast to do just that. And I'll see you on Monday with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.